So this morning, I want to talk with you about an awkward fight. You ever seen an awkward fight? Girl fights are awkward. <laughs> right? Girl fights are awkward. Um, I've never been in a girl fight, but I've seen a few girl fights, and they're always awkward. And I want to talk with you about an awkward fight that's found in the Old Testament. It's such an awkward fight that you've probably never even heard about it. Uh, I've never preached a message on it before, and I'm a preacher's kid, so I grew up in church, and my father was a pastor, and can I tell you, I never one time heard my father preaching about this awkward fight. In fact, in my whole entire life, I've never even heard a message on this fight. So this fight is buried away in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 19 through 23, and it's on the overhead. Let's just kind of read the passage together. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which including killing two Moabites' greatest warriors. Another time he chased a lion down into a pit. Then despite the snow and slippery ground, he caught the lion and killed it. Another time, armed only with a club, he killed a great Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. I know I'm dating myself, but I'm just telling you, Benaiah is a Rambo. <laughs> right? I mean, he's a Rambo. He's a warrior. He's a soldier. And as a soldier, we kind of expect to hear these amazing stories of, of this battles that happen between war and factions, but yet tucked away in between these verses of, of a fight to the death with two Moabites and an Egyptian are 24 words. Two sentences that are tucked away that if you're speed reading through this passage of Scripture, you just jump right over them. So I want to read these 24 words to you one time. Ready? Another time he chased a lion down into a pit. Then, despite the snow and the slippery ground, he caught the lion and killed it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be with this great church today. God, I thank you for this worship team that has ushered us into your presence I pray today as I tell the story of an awkward fight that you would speak in and through us and that the three points that we're going to walk away with today would resonate in our heart so that we can walk differently the moment we leave this building. And in your name we pray and everybody said a good hearty. Amen. One of the axioms, an axiom is a principle. One of the axioms that I learned when I was learning how to preach, when I went to seminary, you go to a class called homiletics, and a homiletics class is really where you learn how to preach biblically. And I was taught that as you're preparing on a particular passage of Scripture that you're going to preach from, that you should immerse yourself in the Scripture. You should put yourself inside the story. You should immerse yourself into the passage, and you should be thinking, what emotions does this evoke in me? What kind of thoughts does this make me have? What kind of feelings do I have? What am I experiencing being inside the story? So I'm preparing for this passage of Scripture, and I'm reading it, and I just got to tell you, when I put myself inside this story... When an image of a 500-pound man-eating lion travels through my occipital nerve and registers on my cerebral cortex, the first thought that hits my brain is what? Run. Run, Run, Forrest. Run. Mike, get out of here. Run. You see, normal people do not chase lions. In fact, normal people run away from lions as fast as they possibly can. Can I tell you why? Because the only lion I've ever seen was a stuffed animal. 
the only one I've ever been close to or ours been behind the, the four and a half inch plexiglass at the zoo or maybe the lion's been in cages at a circus. But that's not the case for Benaiah. See, out of the corner of Benaiah's eyes, he sees something moving and crawling in the brush. I don't know how far the lion is away, but Benaiah's vision is probably obscured with falling snow and from his frozen breath. But there's a moment in time where Benaiah's eyes and the lion's eyes lock. And in that moment, his pupils dilate. There's a rush of adrenaline that runs through his nerves. His muscles tense. And can you imagine watching this? At a theater, on a big screen. Can you imagine this scene? I mean, can you, has it been so long? Do you remember what a theater is? Can you imagine watching this with surround sound? You're, you're watching this story as Benaiah's eyes lock with this lion and your knuckles grab the seat in front of you. Your blood pressure begins to build as the team, as the music begins to create tension inside of us and suspense because we know what's about to happen next. Lion counters in the wild always end up the same way. Man runs away from the lion. The lion gives chase. Simba, the king of the jungle, jungle eats manwich for lunch. That's always how encounters in the wild take place. I mean, it's the circle of life, right? Right, but not this time. Almost as improbable as a snowstorm in the month of July in Clawson, Texas... Beniah turns and gives chase to the lion. And you're looking at the person that you're sharing popcorn with and you go, what? What in the world is he doing? Can we just push pause just for a second in this kind of concept and let's talk about this, about what's happening. A full-grown lion weighs 500 pounds and they can run 35 miles an hour in a single leap in one bound, they can jump 30 feet, and I marked it off. It's from that step all the way over to that step. They can jump 30 feet in one bound. Now, let's compare that to Benaiah. Let's compare that to you and I. Do you remember in 2009, Usain Bolt ran 100 meters, and he cleared 100 meters. He traveled 100 meters running 27.96 miles per hour. Now, that's not normal. In fact, most of us cannot run anywhere near that fast. In fact, the average person in this room for a short distance, and some of us even really short distances. I'm looking out at some of you. It's really short. We can only run 12 to 13, 15 miles an hour, some faster, some slower. And with a running start, we can jump from rooftop to rooftop like Jason Bourne in those movies. With a running start, we can jump 10 to 11 feet. So when you think about it, the lion is completely safe, right? He's never going to catch the lion. I mean, the lion's got him beat by speed. He's got him beat by prowess. He's got him beat by size. He's never going to outrun the lion, and he's never going to catch the lion. But that doesn't keep him from chasing it. Then something happens unexpectedly in the story. The Bible says that the ground gives way underneath the 500-pound frame of this giant man-eating lion, and he falls down a steep embankment into a pit filled with snow. And no one is eating popcorn right now. 
because all eyes are fixed on the screen. This is the climax of the movie. This is the moment of truth as an out-of-breath Benaiah creeps up to the edge of the pit with a trapped lion. He slowly inches forward and peers over into the pit and yellow menacing eyes look back at him and a primal roar erupts from the pit. And Beniah has this moment. You know what those moments are. Everyone in the room, everyone in the theater is watching as this Moment. They all see it at the exact same instance. There's this flash of an insane thought that runs across Benaiah's mind, and everyone in the theater goes, Dude, come on, don't even think about it. Don't, don't even think about that just insane thought that you just had. It's insane, dude. Don't even think about it. Can we just push pause just one more time? In your lifetime, have you ever had an insane thought? Have you ever done something that after you did it in retrospect, you thought, what in the world? What was I thinking? I mean, for some of you, it could be that full-size unicorn tattoo on your back. I don't know. I don't know what you were thinking. For some of you, it was your third husband or your fifth wife. I don't know what you were thinking. But you look at it and go, man, I don't know what I was thinking because here's one of those moments for Benaiah. We're thinking, what? What? What are you thinking? He's 500 pounds. You're a buck 25 soaking wet. He can run 35 miles an hour. You can run 12. He can leap 30 feet. You can leap 12. What are you thinking? You see, it says on the overhead that normal people just don't chase lions so Benaiah turns around and begins to walk away and you hear this collective sigh like oh we thought he was going to do something stupid you hear this sigh like oh I guess everything's going to be okay but what you realize really quickly is that Benaiah is not walking away actually what he's doing he's getting a running start and in that moment where he breaks back toward the pit and he's running as hard as he can and he jumps and I, what you hear in this slow motion is this epic battle cry as he jumps into the pit with the lion and the camera pans out and all you hear is the roar of a lion and the yell of a valiant warrior and then the scene goes quiet complete silence and that silence is you ever been someplace where the silence is agonizing the silence is just agonizing because everyone expects what to happen they expect the lion to slink out, shake its mane, and wander off. But that's not what happens. After a few agonizing moments of utter suspense, the shadow of human form slips out of the pit. Benaiah, blood dripping from his body on the freshly fallen snow. Claw marks crisscross his face and his chest and his arms. Benaiah has won the most improbable fight recorded in Scripture. Here's the three points I want us to take away. Here's the first one. Number one, 
God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time. Can you say that with me? God is strategically in the business of strategically posting, positioning us in the right place when? At the right time. Now, you need to know that as a believer, our destiny is a birthright that God gives to us. That God in his sovereignty, he says, I'm going to make sure that you end up where I want you to end up in your lifetime because I'm a sovereign God. Now, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about this. One of my favorite ones is Psalms chapter 37, verse 23. And it says this. The steps of a righteous man and or woman are ordered by who? By God. So what does this mean? When I was about 21 years old, I, had, I heard one of my favorite African-American preachers. His name was Reverend E.V. Hill. Dr. Reverend E.V. Hill. Bishop Dr. Apostolic Leader. E.V. Hill. And he pastored Missionary Baptist Bible, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'll never forget the illustration when he's preaching on this passage of Scripture. He said like this, if you love God, come on, is that you? If you love God and if you are faithfully following the steps that God's planned for your life. Anybody here? That's you. And if you start to make a mistake and make a step in the wrong direction, here's what Dr. E.V. Hill says, that God turns the world underneath your feet to make sure that you land in the right place. Come on. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of God. You see, as a believer, God gives us this confidence that God is strategically placing us however he has to do it to make sure that we end up exactly where God wants us to be at the right time and at the right place. Why? To fulfill our destiny, to fulfill God's purposes in our life, to ensure that we're at the right place at the right time. But here's the kicker. In God's economy, can I just tell you something? The right place often feels like the wrong place. Come on. The right place feels like the wrong place, and the right time, it feels like the wrong time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? From the natural perspective, looking in from the situation, I'm thinking, this, there's no way that this is the right place and the right time for Benaiah. I mean, in my mind's eye, this is the absolutely worst place a guy could be. It's the worst time under the worst conditions. And can I tell you, I, I can just think of about 100,000 places I'd rather be than in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. How about you? Come on, is that on your bucket list? It's not on my bucket list, baby. That's a death wish. It's not going to happen. I'm not looking forward to that. But Scripture doesn't give us kind of a blow-by-blow -blow event of what happens. All that we know is that when the snow settles, Benaiah is alive and the lion is dead. Now, fast forward to the next two verses in the passage of Scripture. 2 Samuel 23, 23. And David, who's David, do you think? Your next-door neighbor, David? No. King David makes Benaiah, puts him in charge of his own personal bodyguard. Did you get that? How did that happen? 
How did he go from the pit to a position to the palace? How did that happen in his life? You see, Benaiah just wasn't chasing a lion. God was strategically positioning Benaiah to play an integral role in King David's administration. God always ensures that people like you and I are at the right place at the right time. And what may not seem like the right place in God's economy is always the right place. And what may not seem like the right place in the right time for you is God's timing. Here's the second thing I want you to walk away with. Number two, God is in the resume building business. Anybody ever put together, put together a resume? Man, resumes. God is in the position of preparing you for your future opportunity. And how he does that is he uses what happened to you in your past and what is presently happening to you right now in your present to prepare you for your what? Your future. God uses your past. He is using your... Okay, you got to help me out here. I'm working hard up here. I'm even sweating. Come on. I know I don't have bald hair. I'm working on it. Okay? God uses your past. He's using your... To prepare you for your future. That's exactly what's happening. And here's the reality. You can either cower in fear and run away from the great challenges that come your way or you can chase these God-ordained moments by seizing them and experiencing your destiny. This is what you got to know. In my life, I can recognize a simple truth. You see, it says on the overhead that, that the greatest opportunities in my life were the scariest lines I've ever faced in my entire time. The greatest opportunities were the scariest moments. You see, I'm no different from you. There are times that I just want to play it safe. I just want to skip past it, wink, act like it never happened. But can I tell you what I've learned in my years of ministry is this. That I've learned that taking no risks is the greatest risk of all. Taking no leaps of faith is the greatest risk of all. For me, giving up a a law scholarship to go to a little bitty Bible college in Springfield, Missouri was a huge risk. Asking my wife, Rhonda, to marry me after our fifth date, huge risk. Not as big a risk as her saying yes. Huge risk. Packing up everything we owned into a 15-foot U-Haul trailer. Leaving an executive pastor position at a really large church. Moving to Phoenix, Arizona in the middle of August. Can I tell you, it was 100. The first day I was in Phoenix, 122 degrees. Cannot be the right place. Certainly not the right time. Planning a church when you've only been married for 12 months? Stupidity. (laughs) Huge, huge, huge risk. Going to a town that you've never been in, where you don't know a single solitary person, 
you don't even have a place to live and you don't even have a job is a huge risk. But can I tell you, when I look back in the rearview mirror of my life, I realize that the biggest risk were the greatest opportunities of my life. And here's what you also got to hear. I had lots of sleepless nights. I had lots of sleepless nights. There was so, so much fear in my life that I got ulcers. I, I was worried. I was petrified. I was nauseous all the time. I was like, Lord, this cannot be the right place. This cannot be the right time. We experience such seasons of financial hardships that the only way that I'm here today is because God supernaturally provided for my wife and I. We had to pick ourselves out off of the dust and dust ourselves off so many times because we fell how? Flat on our face. But like Benaiah, our leaps of faith, here's what you got to understand. Your leaps of faith do not leave you unscathed. I guarantee you he had claw marks on him for the rest of his life. But what were those scars? Signs of victory. They were, they were badges of honor. You see... In those moments where we were suffering financially, where it didn't look like things were going to go well, when we didn't have the money to do what we wanted to do, when we were down and discouraged, it was in those moments that God set the stage for my future. It was in those moments where I felt physically and spiritually alive. It was in those moments where God changed the trajectory of my entire life. And in those moments that God gave me the confidence and the strength to chase the next line that came down my path. And here's the reality of what you've got to understand. You will never get to where God wants you to go without those kinds of moments. Oh, I wish I could tell you that every time I chased a line, it was rosy. I just said, sit, Simba, and the thing said, come on. I've never had a lion do that to me. What is a lion? Why do we call them man-eaters? Because they eat people. They eat you alive. But if you never chase them, if you never have those moments where you walk away victorious, then you never end up where God wants you to be. The third point is this, and I close. Pits change your perspective. Pits they change your perspective. Here's what I've learned after 38 years of ministry. If you never chase a lion-sized opportunity, then your faith will remain small. Your, your dreams dwindle into boring routine. Passions fade into regret. And worst of all, if you've never chased a lion... What happens is that we ultimately rob God of the glory that is due him as he fulfills his purposes through our lives in and through what we're going through. Did you hear that? 
If you never chase a lion, God never receives the glory. And your purposes and his purposes that for your life are never fulfilled. You see, I can see it in my life, and we can certainly see it in the life of Benaiah, but can I tell you that we can also see it in the life of Joseph? You remember Joseph? He's the youngest pampered baby of the family. He has this dream, and he has this unmitigated gall to tell his brothers that someday you're going to bow down before me. Come on. I'm the oldest in my family. If my punk little brother had said that to me, <laughs> come on, right? So what did his brothers do? I mean, there were, there were 10 of them and only one of him. The Bible says they threw him into a what? A pit. They threw him into a pit. And in God's sovereignty, in his counterintuitive way, what looked like the wrong place at the wrong time for Joseph is exactly the right place and the right time for God to fulfill his purposes in his life. Here's what you got to see. If Joseph had never been thrown into the pit, if he had never been sold into slavery, if he had never been betrayed by Potiphar's wife, if he'd never been sent to prison, he would have never met the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. No, that's not the right story. He would have never met the cupbearers, king's cupbearer. He would have never interpreted the dream. And he would have never risen to second in command of the most powerful nation at the time. He would have never had seven years to stockpile grain in preparation for a worldwide famine. And more importantly, he would have never been in the position to save his brothers and their entire family from starvation. And at the end of the story, guess what happens? Now, I got to tell you, push pause. Joseph is just a bigger man than me. I'd have had to put a zinger in there a little bit. Come on, right? I'd have said, I told you. But not Joseph. Here's what Joseph says. In one of the most powerful statements in all of the Bible, Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, he says this. What you meant for what? Evil. Evil. But God meant for good. good. To bring to pass what? As it is this day to save our people. What Joseph said to his brothers is, listen, I'm not the victim here. I am victorious. The pit changed my perspective. God strategically placed me at the right place at the right time. And when you look at it from the outside, it looks like the worst place and the wrong time. But God did what? He turned the world underneath my feet. And I ended up being at the exact same place that God had for my purpose and for my destiny. And only God and God alone can receive the glory for that. You see, if you look at the life of Benaiah or even Joseph, I think if we had the opportunity to interview those guys, I think neither one of them would ever mention the word regret. I think if you ask them, do you have any regrets about anything that happened in your life? I think both of these guys would say, I don't have one ounce of regret. Can I tell you what regret is? Regret's a coin that has two sides. One side of regret is the regret of 
activity or action. You ever done that? Oh, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I regret that I did that. I regret that. In theological terms, we call that the sin of commission. We committed a sin. The other side of regret is the regret of inactivity. It's like this. Man, I wish I'd have done something about that. I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have engaged in that. We call that the sin of omission. Can I tell you that most churches that I spend a lot of time with, they spend most of their time working on the sins of commission. They put together really long lists of things that you can't do. Think of it as holiness by subtraction, <laughs> right? We think holiness is a byproduct of subtracting things from our lives that shouldn't be there and that somehow when all those things that shouldn't be there are subtracted, we'll be holy. Can I tell you there is an element of subtraction from being holy? But I think God often is as much concerned about sins of omission. Things we could have done. Things we should have done. You see, it says on the overhead that goodness is not the absence of badness. Goodness is not the absence of badness. Can I tell you, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing wrong. Right. Right? Simply doing nothing doesn't mean that it's going to be right. Listen, doing nothing sometimes is the biggest mistake we can make in our life. And the sin of omission can be just as damaging to our heart, our soul, and our spirit as sins of commission. You see, as believers, can I tell you that God has called us to a higher level of living than simply running away from the things that we shouldn't be doing? He's called us to live a life of running towards the things. See, if you read the characters in the Bible, one of the things that you'll see in every one of their lives is this truth that kind of percolates to the surface, and it's this. Spiritual maturity is seeing and seizing God-ordained opportunities. People that are spiritually mature, they consistently see what God is doing and they seize that opportunity. I've been praying for you all this week and I've been praying that the moment that you leave this place this morning, that Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and for the rest of the days of your life, that when these God-ordained opportunities cross your pathway, you will see them as a gift from God to you. That's what's happening. God is giving you a gift when an opportunity passes your way. Here's the second thing I've been praying for you. That when you see those opportunities, that what you do with them would be your gift back to God. It's simply not seeing it, but it is seizing it as well. And the older I get, the more I believe that the biggest regret that most of us will have in our life is the regret of missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. I thought of that. Now that guy's a multimillionaire. Right? could have done that 
Benaiah, he went on to have a brilliant military career. In fact, the Bible says, if you read further on in the passage of Scripture, that he was elevated all the way up to the commander-in-chief of the entire armies of Israel. But guess what? It started with what many would think as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was a fight to the death. But Benaiah was faced with a choice that you and I are often faced with as well. Do we run away or do we give chase? Can I tell you that I don't think much has changed in 3,000 years since this story was written? Now, I doubt very seriously on your jog this afternoon or tomorrow night or whenever you're going to jog or whatever that you find yourself in the pit with a lion, particularly on a snowy day in Clawson, Texas. But I do know that tomorrow and the next day and every day thereafter, you will be given God-ordained opportunities. And what you do with them will determine your destiny. If our worship team could come, if our prayer altar workers would come to the front, if you would stand with me as we prepare to move into our next phase of our service. Can I tell you, I came all the way to Clawson to remind you of some very simple truths. That wherever you are, regardless of what you're going through, that God has a purpose and a reason for your life. Do you know that from the very moment of your birth to this very minute, right this very second, that God has been strategically positioning you to make sure that you experience every opportunity that he has for you in your life? And I know some of you are thinking, my, seriously, if I look at what's happening around me in my life right now, you're trying to tell me that this somehow is beneficial? You're smoking crack, dude. <laughs> What's happening in my life is full of pain. It hurts. Have you looked at my bank account, brother? Can I tell you that at this very moment, God has worked on your past. He's working on your present to prepare you for your future. And you may not think that the pit you're in right now is that rosy. But God has a purpose. If you don't believe me, look at Benaiah. Look at Joseph. They both would tell us that God is strategically positioning us. And what may not look like the right place, it may not feel like the right place, is exactly the right place. 38 years of ministry, a couple of things that I've learned. God says this you can be a hundred percent confidence that God is using what you are going through this very moment to build your faith resume to build your spiritual confidence to build your trust in him that he has a purpose and a plan for your life and because of that truth Maybe you need to change the perspective of the pit that you're in. Can I tell you, my friends, that God has not forgotten the pit that you're in? Can I tell you what he's doing? 
He's perfecting you. Oh, I love that song we sang, refining. Where do you get refined? On the beaches in Honolulu? No, in a crucible filled with fire. He's refining you. He's purifying you. He's positioning you. And he's preparing you for God's purpose and plan for your life. And if necessary, when you call, crawl out of the pit and you don't know where you're going to go next, could I tell you that if you love God with all your heart, if you seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, if you're doing everything that you know that you're supposed to be doing, and for some unfortunate idea that somehow you're about to make a step in the wrong direction, can I tell you that God will confidently do this? He'll do what? He will turn the world underneath your feet to ensure that you go the right direction. With every head bowed and every eye closed, can I say to you today, this morning, that, that there's some of you here who you would go, Man, I, I wish I had that kind of confidence in God. Can I tell you the reason why you don't have that confidence in kind of God is maybe you don't know God the way some of us know God. And you would say this morning, you know, Mike, I came to church, I've been coming to church for a while, but I've really never made that personal relationship with God a priority in my life. And I, I really feel like today, as I look in the pit, I need somebody in that pit with me who's bigger and stronger than what I'm going through. And I recognize that that person needs to be Jesus. If that's you this morning, you'd say, Mike, I don't really have a personal relationship with God, but man, I know that what I'm going through, I need a helper. I need someone to be a savior to save me from this. If that's you, would you just lift your hand with me on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I see you. Thank you much, ladies. Yes, I see you back over here. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody over here? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I see you. In just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to come to the front of the church and pray. And, and if you lifted your hands, would you just quickly look up and look at these people, these good-looking, nice people on the front up here standing? And would you just come to one of them in a moment and just say, hey, would you pray with me? The second thing that we're going to do is this. Some of you are saying, I'm in a pit right now and I need to change my perspective. I've been cursing this thing. I've been praying against this thing. I've been calling it all kinds of things. And maybe I need to change my perspective and see that God is going to actually use what I'm going through right now to fulfill my purpose. If that's you and you would say, man, I've been in a pit and I, I've been hating, I hate the pit that I'm in and I need to change my perspective. Come on, would you just be honest? Would you lift your hand with me and say, that's me. Come on, yeah, yeah, come on, be honest. Yeah, thank you. In a moment, can I tell you the best place to change your perspective of the pit is by meeting the Prince of Peace. And he will meet you down here at this altar and he will say, listen, I wanna tell you, what I did for Benai, I'm going to do for you. I'm going to move you from the pit to a new position and into a child of mine in my palace. And there are just some of you here today that are saying this. I know God's got a purpose for my life, but I'm just not sure what it is yet. My life is a little foggy. My life's a little unclear. 
And if that's you, say, Mike, I, I know God's talked to me about some things, but it's like going to the optometrist. Good, good, better. It's, a little, it's just not quite clear yet, and I need to focus in. If that's you, and you would say, Mike, I need God to speak to me to give me more clarity about my purpose and my future. If that's you, would you lift your hand with me? Anybody? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I would say to you, number one, if you've lifted your hand for any of these, would you come to the front and would you find a place at this altar and would you just say, God, thank you. Thank you for meeting me here today. Thank you for helping me change my perspective. Thank you, God, in advance for speaking life to me. Would you come? Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for this opportunity that we have today to experience your goodness and your grace in our life. Lord, I thank you for the people who lifted their hand and said, I need to know you as my personal savior. And could we all pray this prayer together out loud? Heavenly Father, come on, let's pray it out loud. Heavenly Father, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I ask you to erase all the horrible things in my life and make all things new. I confess you as my Lord and Savior, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you come to the altar as our worship team leads us in worship?